You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, Please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue on in our series on the new heavens and on the new earth. And then really today we finally arrive at looking at what does the Bible say life on the new earth is actually going to be like. And God wants you to know. That's why it's in the Bible for us to know what God has prepared for those who are called and who are in Jesus Christ, what God is giving to us at the end of the age. And so we see it here in Revelation 21. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And we'll begin in verse 1. Here we see what will life on the new earth be like. And John, our brother, tells us by the Holy Spirit, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murders, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. By your good grace and by your kindness towards us in Christ, would you help us now to see with the eyes of faith the new heavens and the new earth? Would you help us now by faith to see the new Jerusalem as written in your word? So meet us now, Holy Spirit, and help us to hear what it is the Spirit says to the churches. So meet us now, Christ. We ask you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think one of the greatest feelings in the universe is one that we've all experienced and one we've all felt that after being on a long trip or you've been driving in the car for hours, you've, you've been on vacation, out of town for work, you've felt this to some degree. Even when our family has gone to Disney World with friends and with family, amazing time, amazing food, wonderful accommodations, Even if you go to a tropical paradise, all day lounging at the beach, all inclusive, waited on hand and foot, as great as all these trips are, they're just trips. There is still nothing like being home. What happens when you come home from these trips? You come home, you park your car, you drop off your bags, and unless you're type A, you're probably not going to start unpacking and washing clothes and all those kinds of things. You get home and you plop down on your couch and go, oh, yeah. Or even that night, as you're being in five-star hotels and lounging on the beach all day, you get in your bed, your sheets, your pillow, and go, oh, yeah. Why? 
Because there is something about being home. You take those feelings of safety, security, settledness, familiarity, comfort, and peace. You feel all of those at home. Well, then take all of those. Take the settledness, the safety, the security, the comfort, the peace, the joy, the contentment, and you will feel all of those ramped up to the infinite degree in the new earth. You will feel more at home in the new earth than you have ever felt before. When Jesus comes back, And then after all the dead are raised, after Judgment Day, after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented forever, we will live on the new earth forever with one another and with Christ and with God and with the Spirit. The present heaven, where we go now when we die, that is not your final home. You will not be in heaven forever. The present earth, we know, is not our final home. The new earth is our final home. And the new Jerusalem, that will be the capital city of the new earth And there will be the king on his throne, and we will reign and rule with him for all of eternity. And his kingdom will have no end in two ways. It'll have no end geographically, it'll extend into the universe, and it will have no end in time. It is a kingdom forever. And I want you just to stop and think about this for a second. You are going to live forever. As I was preparing this week, I just sat on the couch and I was reading Revelation 21 and thinking, I'm going to live forever. Think about that. Right now, you are going to live forever. It's, it's like we don't have the mental ram to fathom this fully. And this forever will be freed. This foreverness will be freed from anything sour, anything sinful, anything sad. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 21 again. Look at what... The Bible says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So for John to say, I saw a new heaven and a new earth is meant to bring us all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John says, I saw a new heaven and a, and a new earth. We're entering into a new age, the recreation of creation, the kind of the resurrection of creation. And John says the old earth, For the first earth had passed away and and the first heaven had passed away. What he's saying is it's like they died. They're gone. And a new heaven and a new earth. So when he says a new earth and a new heaven, the way he uses that, he's not meaning heaven in the sense of where God is now, where the saints who have died and are with Christ where they are. That's not what he means. And he doesn't just mean the sky, which is commonly how those two wor- those words are used to describe things in the scriptures. When he says a new heaven and a new earth, heaven here means anything that's not earth was made new. I saw a new earth and a new heaven. Everything else in the universe that is not earth in heaven was made new. So this means a new Pluto. Whatever the, whatever the world Pluto is right now, made new. A new Neptune, a new nebula galaxies, new constellation, all of them. Everything made new. And this newness, I saw a new earth. This doesn't mean that new in the way that we think of things. Like you got a new iPhone or you got a new whatever. It's not like God reaches into his inventory, takes out a new earth, takes off the shrink wrap, and then puts it in place. It's not new in that way. It's new and transformed. New in that it is the same earth, but made new fixed, renewed, in the same way that our bodies, when we're resurrected, we are made new people. We're the same person, same body, same skeletal structure, same person, same DNA, but made totally new. In the same way Jesus, same body, same person, 
but resurrected, made new, glorified. When you're on the new earth, it will be recognizable. John recognizes it. I saw a new earth. He calls it an earth. He doesn't say, I saw some planetary ecosystem. He says, no, I saw the earth. You'll recognize it. You'll know when you're standing on the new earth, you'll say, I'm home. This is where I'm meant to be. And think about when Adam and Eve come home. They are the only people who have lived on all three kind of versions of earth. They lived on a pre-fallen earth. They lived on a fallen earth. And they will live on the new earth to come. They will be coming home. We will be coming home. And the new Jerusalem will be the capital city of the whole earth. And you know, like when you go back to your childhood home, you know, my wife's from Lake Charles, Natalie. So we go back to Lake Charles and we see it. She's like, oh, that's my high school. That's, you know, that's where this happened, football games. And when I go back to different neighborhoods I grew up in, and you see your stomping grounds and, or you see the spot where you were engaged, where you learn how to ride your bike and all those things. When we're on the new earth, we'll, it'll be reminiscent to us. It'll be like our old stomping grounds, but gloriously made new. And there's one feature that's already mentioned in Revelation 1, verse 1, 21. What does he say? The first heaven, the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. Does this mean there's no more beaches? Yes, no more sand. Yeah, I feel the same way. Sand's so irritating. Does this mean there's no more beach? Well, for the ocean to be gone here is a major theological reason. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the, Bible, the ocean is where the deep, the depths of wickedness and scary monsters and sin and demonic powers and scary beasts are in the deep, the Leviathan and all these kinds of things. And so for the new heaven and the new earth to say, the sea, the ocean is no more. What God is communicating to us is symbolic, but, but real, that these threats at home and abroad have all been eradicated. Because we can't see down into the depths of the sea. So the ancients had a fear of that's where evil is and that's where wickedness is. That's where the scary beasts are. So God is saying, you don't have to worry out there anymore. Threats at home or abroad have all been gone. You don't have to worry about what's in the depths of the ocean. So I think it's a great biblical theological reason for why they're gone. So now, are they actually gone? Yes. But we can still know there are bodies of water. There is a river of life that flows through the, new, the down Main Street of the New Jerusalem. So there must be other, we can assume there are other rivers. These rivers got to go somewhere and lakes. They're just not just disappearing. They're going somewhere. So I think there will still be giant lakes that feel like oceans but aren't oceans. And we'll enjoy them. I'm sure they can have sandy shores if we want. Whatever it will be, we won't be disappointed. We won't be going, man, I really miss Galveston. You're not going to miss it. It's like when you've been upgraded from they don't call it coach anymore. What is it? Economy class. When you've been upgraded from that to a first class or business class, it's the same chairs, seating, but way different. No one's ever been upgraded and go, man, I wonder what's happening back in economy. I just, I just miss economy class. No one ever says that. You will be in the new earth and you will never think, man, I, I wish I had this. You will have everything to the full and it will be enjoyable. I'm sure, using our Christian imagination, they'll be filled with fish and these giant lakes. And Well, I like saltwater fish. Okay, God can switch them to enjoy freshwater. You'll be fine. You'll snorkel and surf and play. And I bet even a little bit, we have to kill this notion that 
to even think about the new earth and snorkeling and surfing and playing, does that seem unspiritual to you? Do you think, well, I mean, I'm in the presence of God. Heaven's supposed to be spiritual, right? I, I doubt I would want to snorkel when Jesus is there. Okay, listen, if that's the way you think, you probably haven't been snorkeling. And you definitely haven't been snorkeling in the right way. God made it. God made stingrays for you. God made angelfish for you. God made moray eels for you. God made coral reefs for you to enjoy him as the creator. So maybe you've been snorkeling, but you haven't snorkeled rightly and worshiped him while you do it. In the new earth, God is giving us his entire creation to worship and to enjoy him. He's giving us space. He's not just building us a new choir loft to exist in. We're not just going to sing for all of eternity. He's giving us a new earth, a space to enjoy in time, eternity to enjoy it. So I think we'll, we'll enjoy the earth. And I think in eternity to come, we'll enjoy Mars. I think we'll have a field trip day and go to Saturn's moons because we will have eternity to enjoy all that God has given us. And we'll have eternity to create things. Think about the technology we've come, come up with in just a few hundred years. We have eternity to create and to fill God's earth and subdue it. But listen, Jesus, when he died and rose again, he bought this inheritance for you. He died and rose again, saving you from your sins, saving you from Satan, saving you from the wrath of God, and he has given you an inheritance. He says, all things have been put under my feet and we will be co-heirs with him. So whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to you. So, so you're not going to get that Tesla in this life. Big whoop. You have a great inheritance to come. So what? Your wife won't let you grow a beard. You have a great inheritance to come. You have a great eternity awaiting for you. Beloved, one of the best ways that Satan can lure you and lull you into a spiritual low is to convince you that the new earth isn't much to think about. It's to convince you that the new earth isn't much to think about in terms of quantity. Not, not a big deal to think about. I have other things I should bother myself with. Um, it's cool. It should be great, but I don't have time to think about that. When the New Testament, it's mentioned in almost every book in the New Testament, what eternity's bringing you. And also Satan wants you to think about it not much in terms of quality. It's unimpressive. Satan wants you to think it's unimportant and unimpressive. And when he does that, what's happening is he is convincing you that sin is more sweet than what's to come. That compromising your ethics is more urgent because you only have one life to live. That you better rack up all the debt you can, rack up all your credit cards to enjoy things of this earth that moth and rust will destroy because what's to come is unimportant. What's to come is unimpressive. So stock up while you can now. Don't buy into his tactics. God, has, God wants you to know. That's why Revelation 21 exists. So you will see how amazing the eternity that God has prepared for those who love him. And eternity will look stronger. Eternity will look sweeter. And when you get that, when you see it for what it really is, you will join the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Paul, who has had a much harder life than all of us put together, says, sufferings that I face here, the difficulties, they don't even hold a candle to what's to come in the new earth. So what will the new earth be like? This new city? 
Look at verse two of Revelation 21. Verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So where is the city coming from? From God, from the heavenly realm. It's there in the present heaven now, being worked on, being designed, being built, being staged for the grand reveal by Jesus himself. And you know when you see panoramic pictures of New York City at night or other beautiful skylines at night and you look at them and you feel something and and your brain sends a signal to your lips and you form a little circle with your lips and you go, wow. Just seeing these pictures and you go, wow, it's amazing. New York City and the skyline of Houston, it's, it's beautiful. But just think, those are designed by men and women. Imagine what a city designed by God will look like. It will baffle you. It will blow you away. You have never seen anything like it. The same God who made the majestic lion is the same God who's designing your future city. The same God who made fish whose eyeballs act independently of one another is making a city for you. The God who made a lizard who could transform its colors into its surroundings, he's making a city for you. And what will it look like? Well, what does John say in verse 2 at the end? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, it's beautiful. Think about a wedding day. Think about prepared. All the preparation that goes on in a wedding day for the bride. The groom rents a tux, puts it on over. 100 bucks. The bride, it's another story. Hours and hours and crews, like pit crews of women getting her together. Her hair doing things it will never do again. Makeup and dress and, and everyone agrees when she comes out and she's presented to her husband. She's beautiful. Everyone agrees she's radiant. Everyone agrees she's attention grabbing. We all stand up and we all look at her. She's tear inducing. Breathtaking. The new Jerusalem will be the most architecturally brilliant city you have ever seen. It will blow you away. And God tells us more of the blueprints. Look at verse 10 of chapter 21. John says, this angel shows up and it says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. So just side note, there's topography. There's mountains there. And John's on this big mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like like a jasper, clear as crystal had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel inscribed and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, the strong city. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So amazing symbolism and history bundled into our city. The names of the tribes of Israel, the names of the apostles. And then uh, look at verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square. It's a perfect square. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That's an interesting tidbit. Thank you. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third agate, and the fourth emerald. Now let's pause here. We read these. I don't think this is just symbolic. 
I think it is symbolic and literal. It's possible to have literal symbolic things. If you're married, you're wearing one. This is symbolic that I'm married, but it is literal. It's a piece of real white gold or sterling silver, whatever James Avery sells. It's, it's literal. It's real. I wear it. It's on my finger. So this is a literal city filled with symbolism and tacked on with all of these rare gems, jasper, sapphire, chrysolite, carnelian, topaz. And when you read that, you got to stop because I know when I read this, I think all these jewels, all these colors, I think bedazzled. (laughs) Don't think that. Don't think cheap Hobby Lobby decorations. Whatever God has given to us will be amazing, will be baffling, and God has better craftsmanship than what's available at Hobby Lobby. This will blow us away. And these pearly gates in verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Pearly gates. We've heard that phrase a lot. When you usually think of pearly gates, we think of a gate that's kind of wrought iron-like, but with strands of pearls. That's not what the Bible says. What did it say? There are gates, and the pearls are what? Each gate is made of how many pearls? One. This is a giant pearl that serves as a gate that we will enter through. Why? Why pearls? How are pearls made? Through the excruciating pain of an oyster, beauty is made. They serve, these gates serve as a glorious reminder of the cross of Christ that through the pain, the excruciating crucifixion he went through, the pain he went through, the resurrection he delivered, eternal life is ours. Serve as a forever reminder that we only can be in the new Jerusalem because of what Jesus has done for us. And their gates They could have just been pearl statues, but they're gates to remind us that we enter in through the pain, through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the only way we have entrance into the new Jerusalem. And they're always open. If you see down in verse 25, it says, and its gates will never be shut by day. Why are they never shut? Because there's nothing to fear. Ancient cities, they close the gates. Because you don't want enemies to come in. and you have, a, you have a watch. But here they're always open, communicating. All may come in. All who have believed in Christ come in. Every tribe, language, nation, tongue, ethnicity, all may come in. And there's, no, there's nothing to fear. Even Disney World, the happiest place on earth, they lock their gates at night. Because there's still something to fear. But in the new earth, the new Jerusalem, nothing to fear. ADT will be out of business in the new earth. There will be no alarm.com. There will be no locks. So we won't need them. And this city is ginormous. That's the proper Greek word. Humongo is a fine translation too. Look at verse 16. So the city is four square. It's a perfect square, length the same as width. And he measured it with a rod. The angel is measuring it with some kind of measuring tool, 12,000 stadia, which you learned about in elementary school, right? It's 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles was one side of this city. I looked in Google Maps. That's Houston to San Diego. Not as the crow flies, but as roads. It would be even longer. And that's just one side. 
So it would be 1,400, 1,400, 1,400, 1,400. That square mileage stretches from Canada to Mexico, one city. Its height is the same, 1,400. That dwarfs Dubai. The ground level of the New Jerusalem is 2 million square miles, 40 times bigger than England, 15,000 times bigger than London, 10 times bigger than France or Germany, and this is just the ground level. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven just does all this math, and he says, let's just assume that there's multi-story buildings because it's a city. What do cities have? Infrastructure, buildings, roads. We see there's roads. So Revelation, if you lay them all out, shows us if it's a 1,400 square foot high, 1,400 miles high, that building, if it had generous 12 foot high kind of ceilings, you're looking at a 600,000 story tall building. 600,000 stories tall. Massive. You will not be crowded in the new earth. You don't have to worry. Man, there's like billions of people Jesus saved. Are we going to have room? You'll have room. Plenty of room. And that's just in the new Jerusalem. This doesn't even include the rest of the earth that we can enjoy and dwell in. Guys, life on the new earth, the best illustration for what life on the new earth will be like is life on this earth. Life on the new earth will be a lot like life on this earth, but it'll be perfect. It'll be freed from the stain of sin. There will be mountains, as we've seen. There'll be laughter. There'll be music. There'll be coffee and the best coffee because we know there are crops. Revelation 22 talks about trees with fruit on them. The tree of life is back there too. So I don't know if we'll have meat because that, since animals have to die for it, and there won't be death. So how are we going to eat meat? How are we going to get our filet mignon? What are we going to do? How am I going to have bacon and eggs? Well, maybe God will give us something better than bacon. And if anyone can do it, he can. He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can give us an enjoyable meat substitute. That will be even better than meat. And Chick-fil-A will be open 24-7 too. How will we eat chicken? I don't know. But something will be great. And Isaiah says that he prepared a rich feast of food for us. So whatever it is, you won't be thinking, man, I really miss economy class. You'll be living and enjoying the new earth. It will be, the new earth will be reminiscent of the old earth, but redeemed. The new earth is heavenly. And heaven is becoming earthly. Now they're becoming indistinguishable from one another. Because, precisely because God is making it his home too. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So God will live with us forever in the new earth for all of us. This is what makes the new earth and the new Jerusalem so great. Is that no bodyguards, no barriers, no bouncers. It's just us with God. And what will the culture of heaven be like? Really, in Revelation 21, we learn two things about the new Jerusalem. The blueprints of the city, and God wants us to know. I mean, just think, you can think, ah, oh, this is really matter. It obviously matters to God, for he wants you to know about it. He wants you to be excited about what's to come. And secondly, he shows us the culture of the city, what the city's going to be like. What's the vibe of the new Jerusalem? That's verse 4. What will God do in the city? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
in the new Jerusalem, sadness is extinct. Tears are wiped away. The thing that grieves you today, that burdens you, is lifted, is gone. Death dies. There's no more mourning, no more crying, no more chronic pain. They all passed away. They went the way of the old earth, gone. So this means that cancer, one of the most awful things in the world, is gone. ALS is gone. MS is gone. The former things have passed away, and he makes all things new. When Jesus is in the Gospels and he's healing the man whose legs are lame and he can't walk, and he says, get up, and he gets up and walks, he's showing us what the new earth is going to be like. This is what I'm going to do to all my people. When he tells the man with the withered hand who can't stretch it out to stretch out his hand, and he does, and it's like a full-grown arm, Jesus is giving us a time portal to what the new earth will be like. And Joni Erickson Tata, a great sister in Christ who's an author and a speaker and who is a current, and I stress a current quadriplegic, she says, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled and bent fingers and atrophied muscles and gnarled knees and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light and bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with a spinal cord injury like me? Or someone who has cerebral palsy or a brain injury or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And as she was speaking, she was talking to a group of, of mentally handicapped Christians. And they thought it was great that she said she's getting a new body and they rejoiced for her. But then she turned to them and said, and you are getting new minds. And the class broke out in cheers and applause for they knew what God was giving them, what God had in store for them, a new body and a, a new mind. And God wants us to rejoice in this because God rejoices in this city. In Isaiah 65, God says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, all the sinful, horrible things. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice. This is God speaking. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So God says, I want you to be glad in the new Jerusalem because I am glad in what I'm going to do. I want you to be excited about what awaits you in the new Jerusalem because God says, I'm excited. I look forward to what is coming in the new Jerusalem, and he will be glad in his people, and his people will be glad in him. This is why Jonathan Edwards says the eternal life is a world of love, of reciprocal love going back and forth, and gladness and joy between God and his people forever. And in this place, he makes all things new. It says here, it says it in 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. Since there's a new Jerusalem, and this is still earth, we use our Christian imagination and say, obviously there'll be new mountains, so why not a new Mount Everest? Why not a new Texas hill country? And I don't think it's a stretch to say there'll be a new Paris, and a new New York City, and a new Mexico, and a new New Mexico, a new Ephesus, a new Houston that's less humid for sure. New Mars, a new moon, a 
He makes all things new. So this must also mean that extinct animals will be back. Animals that we've never seen before. If he's renewing the earth and all the things that have gone wrong with the earth, the way that sin has entered the world and the way that man has treated the world with destroyed rainforests and killing off animals that have gone now extinct, they'll all be made new. They'll be back. And usually, every time I talk about this with a kid, or even adults, usually men, they'll go, what about dinosaurs? And then in second service, in this service, all the kids are like, yeah, yeah, what about dinosaurs? So, okay, let's just think theologically, scripturally about dinosaurs. Did God make them? Yes. Is he making all things new? Yes. So that would lead me to deduce A plus B equals dinosaurs again. They will be there. But then uh, usually we think, oh, but that'll be so scary. They got big scary teeth and their short arms and uh, it's going to be like really scary. No, it won't be scary because there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be nothing to be fearful of. God made them and he'll make them new and we will rule over them. Our relationship with the animals will be repaired. There'll be no fear. There'll be no stray dogs. There'll be no zoos, no cages, no food chain. The food chain seems so normal to us because we have apex predators and we have death, so that seems normal. That will not be normal in the new earth. That will not be there. The lion and the lamb will relax together. The wolf will not harm the flock. As Isaiah 11 says, listen to what God describes in Isaiah 11. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. You know, I love these kind of videos you see on the internet of a woman. I saw one yesterday of this woman singing a lullaby to an elephant. And the elephant kind of came up to her and started nuzzling her. And the elephant laid down and went to sleep. That is a picture of the new earth. And when you see a dog surfing with a human being, or you see a baby bear and a baby cat playing together, don't just look at them and go, oh, that's cool, and then go watch some other cat video. Look at it and go, that's what the new earth is going to be like. A little child shall lead them. No fear. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It will be peaceful, serene, no fear. And I know as we're reading this, you see it multiple times. And one question that commonly comes up, so... It says children will lead them, the weaned child, and put his hand in the adder's den and pick up a cobra. So will there be kids in the new earth? Well, absolutely, there'll be kids. So what about, so how does this fit? What age will they be? How will it work? I think we can, there's two things we could navigate here with the scriptures, and I think both are possible and both accurate. Maybe God will let those of us who have lost children He'll, he'll let you watch them grow up. He'll let you watch them enjoy the life that you didn't get to see on this earth, but you'll see it on the new earth. And definitely the metaphor is here that an illustration of complete peace, that even a child doesn't have anything to fear, that even a kid could pick up a snake and play with it. And it's also communicating to Satan in a way that we don't fear serpents anymore. Even a little kid can pick up a snake, has nothing to fear. Satan's been defeated. 
the city will be filled with righteousness, be filled with perfection. That's why verse 8 says in Revelation 21, as for the murderers and sexually immoral and the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in a lake of fire that burns forever. So if you fear the lake of fire that burns forever and you want the new Jerusalem, there is only one way to get it. It's by believing in Jesus Christ. Believing that he saved you from your sins. Believing that he died in your place and rose again from the dead to pay for all of your sins against God and that you've been forgiven and now the new Jerusalem will be yours. Something's happened in American Christianity where, well, we don't want to, you know, just tell people, well, you know, come to Jesus, you get eternal life. That's true. And we also want to say, well, you know, you better come to Jesus. You don't want to go like a fire. We don't want to become turn or burn people. We don't become prosperity gospel people. But prosperity gospel got a lot right, except the timing. We have a glorious inheritance waiting for us in the New Jerusalem. And the lake of fire is real. And I don't want anyone to so turn and look to Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you will enjoy the greatest life you've ever had, you've ever seen and ever imagined. I mean, just look at verse 22. Verse 22 of Revelation 21 says, there's no temple in the city. Well, that means there's no central place of worship anymore. There won't be any church buildings because we'll see him. Our faith has become sight. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on her. The glory of God will give its light. Its lamp is the lamb. So does that mean the moon and the sun are gone? Well, it just says we won't need it. So yeah, maybe it is gone. But maybe he's just saying God's going to shine so brightly. He's going over, to overpower the sun, overpower the reflective light of the moon. In verse 24, by its light will nations, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It's incredible to think about. What does it mean that the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it? I love the way Randy Alcorn describes it in his book on heaven. Heaven won't be some kind of, the new earth won't be some kind of homogenized culture where we're all going to look the same, where we're all going to dress the same. The nations will bring their glory into it. The nations, we will still be distinct. We will still dress the way we dress. Greco-Romans will still dress the way they dress. 14th century monks will still dress the way they dress. 15th century Frenchmen will still dress the way they dress. We'll bring our glory into it. Well, what is our glory? You can interpret that as all the things that we've done that are non-sinful, that have helped the human race, those will come into the new earth. So China will bring its inventions, its good things that it's done. The United States of America will bring in the good things that it's done, the Wright brothers, the plane, phones, cars. Tomball will bring chili cook-offs. And we all of these things, all the good things that we've done that are not sinful, that didn't hurt anyone, but be brought into the new earth. Because life on the new earth will be reminiscent and renewed. So are you ready for life on the new earth? Are you eagerly awaiting what is prepared for you if you are in Christ? God wants you to know, and God wants you to be excited, for he is excited. And that's why Revelation ends with Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. And the church says, come, Lord Jesus. We're ready to go. And when we finally get there, it will feel like plopping down in our very own home, our glorious home with God. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.